Our scripture readings this morning will be from two different chapters in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, and then the entire 14th chapter. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and what is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In chapter 14. Then I looked and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. And with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with the fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. 
these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, put in your sickle and reap for the hour to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the clouds swung his sickle across the earth and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who had authority over the fire and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. This is the word of the Lord. Those of you that, um, someone's at home that chose not to come to church today, when they ask how church was, I think you should just read the last verse of chapter 14 and then like go in another room to see, see how that works. What I really want to know is, has anyone ever stood with you or for you when you were attacked, legitimately or illegitimately, physically or verbally, maybe when you were a kid, maybe in a job situation? Have they ever stood in front of someone coming after you? And what did that teach you about relationships? Maybe something you already knew. My go-to example is an old friend of mine who's a pastor in Florida named Phil. A group of the elders at that church had wanted uh, to fire me for bad reasons, and he was the, over my area, I was the youth director at the time, and he told me this, basically. And then the next day, he asked for another meeting, and he said, you know, I think you're doing a really good job, and something else is going on here with those elders, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it, but you're fine. Ever since then, anything hard that Phil ever said to me, I was just like, that's fine. Like, you <laughs> defended me at a time when I was very young in ministry and um, I think needed to be defended. I think one of the things we learn in moments like that is that love without a backbone, literally and metaphorically, isn't love, right? 
just squishy if there's no backbone. It's just, right? One of the things that we've been doing as we move through uh, the revelation is utilizing the letters to the churches alongside uh, the vision that Jesus gave to John. And when I chose to do it that way, it was for a whole bunch of reasons. One was so that we would hear the whole book. That's how it was supposed to be taught. Also, it's because I, when I hear people teach on the revelation, they'll often only teach on the letters to the churches because those seem understandable. What I didn't realize is how much Jesus' words to the seven churches prepare us to hear the vision of the rest of it. And so when we're looking at the church in Sardis, it's not as dynamic, either negatively or positively, as the other churches. There's no Jezebel in the church in Sardis. There's no Nicolaitans to be condemned. Um, there's no great direct encouragement like the church received before. Um, and I wonder if that means that, that our church has as much to learn from the Sardis church as it does from any of the churches in Revelation. Jesus describes them as dead, but then goes on to say, you're not dead, but you're kind of acting like it. You're kind of asleep. And he says to them that their work is not complete. What happens with uh, churches, perhaps with other organizations, but I'm most familiar with this kind of organization, is we, in our fatigue, and as time goes by, and as relationships can be strained, we come to believe that the purpose of the church is to continue to exist. And that's wrong. And Jesus uses the harshest language to describe what the church looks like when she believes that her purpose on earth, her purpose in a specific location, is to continue to exist. This goes for individuals and it goes for us as a body. Our work isn't done. That doesn't mean you need to wear yourself out for Jesus 24 7. 24-7 is a direct violation of the fourth commandment. It does mean, though, that our work is not complete. Our work of worship, our work of friendship with these people that we would not have chosen for spiritual family, our work of faithful presence, sharing the, the gospel of Jesus, and, and working with the least of these in the areas that we find ourselves, and faithful presence in the, the literal neighborhoods and the places of business. Our work is not complete. And yet note, even amidst Jesus' strong encouragement to the church in Sardis, the beautiful promises in there. Did you catch those in verse 5? That they will conquer, and conquering in Revelation means to learn to love God and neighbor. Conquering in Revelation is to follow Jesus wherever he goes from chapter 14. And in the midst of that is a beautiful promise. What happens when we trust Jesus with our heart and with our decisions? He will confess our name before the Father. That is a sweet, sweet promise. So Sardis is to wake up as the holy army sings. Moving to chapter 14. They're singing a new song that only the redeemed know. Has, have songs ever been like that for you? Where you sense either through your longtime affection for it or perhaps a new song, you sense something about the supernatural realm. You sense something about the character of God. You sense something about the Holy Spirit tending to you where you've been in your grief. A number of years ago, I was at a funeral for a one-month-old, and we sang, we will feast in the house of Zion, and the mom stood up. So we all stood up with her. And then, and now, 
I think through the beauty of that song and through the scripture that we sing in that moment, we sense something. I hope that our music is it some, sometimes like that for you or perhaps throughout the week as you listen to worship music. I love attempting to imagine their voices sounding both like thunder and like harps. It's a beautiful picture. The 144,000 is the same vast multitude of chapter 7. The reason they're described as 144,000 is not because that's how many of them there were. There was, it's a vast multitude beyond number. It's because they're lined up like a holy army. Remember 12,000 of each tribe in chapter 7? If you go to the book of Deuteronomy and the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see that this is a description of an army that is to carry the name of God before it, which might scare us, might sound a little, you know, politically troubling to talk about holy army, and yet what does this army do? What do the redeemed do? They sing. Who does the work? The Lord and the angels in chapter 14. And throughout, what encourages me so much about the revelation is I think that sometimes your life feels like a battle. When you have forgiven, when you've been generous, when you've chosen to serve, even in the nursery here, perhaps it feels like a battle. And yet, it doesn't feel like a battle in a significant sense. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like we're doing something really profound when we forgive or are generous or choose to serve in ways that will never be noticed, whether it's the least of these or through the church. And yet, the revelation gives us the king's perspective on our lives in light of the truth about the gospel, that's prophecy, in light of both the future and the spiritual realm, that's the apocalyptic nature of the book. And in light of direct encouragement to seven churches. Genesis 3.15 says that the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Psalm 2, which in many ways is the revelation. Revelation is a visual image of Psalm 2. Revelation 14, which is really a picture of the parables Jesus told in Matthew chapter 13. We'll talk about that in a little minute, in a minute is given to us not only because the Lord chose to give it to us, it's given to us not only so that we might understand the truth of the gospel, the apocalyptic reality of our lives in light of the king's perspective. You know what I'm saying? I feel like I'm starting to multiply words and talk faster. Here's what I'm saying. When you forgive, when you serve, because Christ has loved you so well, you can't help but serve. When you are generous, when you share with someone about the hope that is in you, thoughtfully, but you tell them about your hope that's in Jesus, you are part of the redeemed stomping on the head of the serpent. Genesis 3.15 to Matthew 13 to here. So this army might, might make us uncomfortable to hear that this is the holy army and that we're part of it, and yet what does the army do? It worships. It learns to do community with one another. It's faithfully present in the neighborhoods and places of business it finds itself. Sardis is to wake up as the holy army sings and the angels begin to proclaim. The gospel is implied more so than stated here. Um, the gospel that God loves calls people to himself. 
because there is no such thing as no allegiance. There's either allegiance to the lamb or to the beast. And so the angel flies about the earth reminding people or telling them of the gospel, offering them a chance to repent. And we need to talk for a second about fear because I think in 2019 and and perhaps ways we... I just think we get uncomfortable when we hear that word and yet the scripture is very fond of the word. And I'll give you a little bit of a key if if that word you know, is rough for you. The word awe is probably closer to the range of things that scripture means when it says the fear of the Lord. But don't we know that love has to have a backbone in order to be love? And if love has to have a backbone, doesn't it have to have a strength for us to be able to respect it and appreciate it? So when the angel encourages people to fear God, It is because God is powerful and holy and his love and affection for us are worth meditating on and so is the fact that he is entirely holy and the earth is not. And when we have any concept of that, we're aware of that through fear. Not a fear that sends us away from God, but a fear that encourages us because of his strength. And this is judgment happening and judgment is part of every system. In seventh grade, I was sitting across from Mr. Timms who played college football, very large man, and he looked me in the eye and said, those who hate discipline are stupid. (laughs) Quoting a proverb. And I had done some lots, lots of foolish things. And so it really didn't bother me that he was saying that. I knew he was right, both because he was quoting the scriptures appropriately and because I had really screwed up. I remember in college, I was taking a class in New Testament and dating a woman who was also taking the class and she was uh, complaining later that she got a B minus in it and I said, you earned a B minus. That conversation didn't go well after that point. (laughs) (laughs) But judgment and justice are part of every system, be it grading or discipline. And yet it's so imperfect, isn't it? I don't know if you kept up with... Well, let me just say that. Judgment and justice are so imperfect. We look around the world and we see all kinds of abuses of human rights. We see the immigrant crises all over the world, the refugee crises. We see civil wars. If we know anything about the histories of World War I and World War II and what happens when humans who are prone to destruction under the influence of the beast, millions are murdered and harmed. And so the angels fly around and they preach about grace, the gospel. They also preach about doom and their warning because God will step into history and say, enough. And this is throughout the story of scripture. This is alluded to and spoke of and described and it might make us uncomfortable Frankly, if you were paying attention towards the end of the reading, that much blood will make us uncomfortable. Up to the horse's bridle, 1,600 stadium length, which is a reversal of the picture that God gave to Ezekiel. If we had gone to Jewish school, the revelation would not confuse us nearly as much as it does because we'd be so familiar with the Old Testament prophets who spoke about these things. The angels proclaim about grace and doom and warning and in 2019 in Connecticut it might sound harsh and yet as students of history as those who watch the the news 
we know that the world is a mess and people are harmed viciously on accident and on purpose. Regimes under the sway of the beast murder and God will say enough. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking more and more about what it might be like for someone who's not a follower of Jesus or not particularly uh, familiar with the Bible to hear this series, and uh, that troubles me. And yet, I believe that for those of us that are followers of Christ, we need to be equipped with the revelation to understand what our lives look like from the king's perspective right now. And to understand what our lives look like from the king's perspective, even in light of the future. But for those of you that are considering the good news, I want to point out one thing, which is that the Bible is incredibly, incredibly internally consistent in the way it speaks about things, from God's love to God's judgment. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a number of parables, and I'll just uh, read the parable of the weeds explained. Then he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. That's a text that was written decades before the revelation by a different writer. If you read in Genesis chapter 3, there's a description of the offspring of the woman crushing the serpent. In Joel 3 and in all of the long prophets of the Old Testament, this day is described. Revelation 14 is the image of these prophecies coming to pass. And it is challenging for us because we know where our next meal is going to come from. I don't think many of us are being actively oppressed, especially compared to those world wars that I spoke about, and yet we read about Rwanda, and we read about Syria, and we read about human trafficking here, and we read about the refugee crisis or hear about all across the world. And it is part of our theology. God will say enough and he will deal with it. This is the picture of that. The good news is love, that God loves us. Because of that, he sent Jesus to reconcile us to the Father. And yet, if that good news has no judgment, then it has no backbone. The world is that broken because God allowed both us and Satan. So I don't know if anyone has ever stood for you stood next to you, stood in front of you in an aggressor, but I do know this. Jesus already did by sending his son. Well, he is the son. God already did by sending his son to stand in between you and me and the devil. When in the revelation it talks about salvation, it talks about it in the past tense. Oftentimes when it talks about being ransomed, it's we are already ransomed. When it talks about conquering, we are, are already conquerors through him, quoting Romans. 
And yet, he has not yet shackled the one, even though he is standing in between us and the evil one. I hope you know that. God sent Jesus to stand between you and the evil one and that he will never leave. And I hope that you see in this dark and challenging chapter the encouragement that his love has a backbone and both the destroy, all those who have destroyed the world will be judged. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us as individuals and as a church to wake up to repentance and to our mission as your followers. I ask that you would guide us in that as individuals and as a church. Jesus, would you help us, would you come alongside us in our imaginations and help us to understand as much as we can that love must have a backbone for it to be love. And Holy Spirit, would you come alongside and comfort and assure us of your love even as you guide us into mission. And Lord, we are troubled by so much that we hear about and to a lesser extent see around the world. Would you comfort us that you will one day say, enough. Lord, as we receive the sacrament of communion, draw near to us in ways we can sense and understand. Strengthen us for worship and community and faithful presence. Amen.